Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Nicholas Copernicus, Galileo Galilei, Gregor Mendel, Alfred Wegener. What do all these scientific geniuses have in common besides just being scientific geniuses? They were men ahead of their time. And that is somebody who we are talking to tonight. I don't know if Tony's a scientific genius or not, but he certainly is a hunting genius and he certainly is ahead of his time. Tony spends his time hunting from the ground exclusively. Yep, no tree stands for Tony. And that is something that most hunters would never dream about doing, just as most scientists would have never dreamed that the Earth orbited the sun or that the continents may have actually drifted from a different position at one time. We need to look at hunting differently sometimes, and that's exactly what Tony has done. And the proof is there for Tony. He has killed so many high quality, mature animals through the years using his methods. And we are lucky enough to have him on the show to explain how exactly he gets that done. There's talk of decoys, there's talk of crawling into within very, very short distances from his target buck. There's talk of getting up high into vantage points like barns and windmills to try and locate these animals before he hunts them and there's just tons and tons of great tips tricks and a whole lot of first hand experience with these animals that come from a guy who hunts probably more than 99 percent of other hunters out there yeah we are very fortunate to have tony here on the show so Make sure you uh, listen in, and if you're one of those people who ends up hunting from the ground yourself quite often, it's probably not like Tony does it, but that doesn't mean it can't be or that you can't take a few of the things that he does and incorporate them into your own ground game. So start evaluating how it is you've been hunting this year, what the success has been, and maybe start thinking about where you could take some of these tricks and tips that Tony gives us here in episode 30 of the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Brandon, man, it's been a little while. I was looking at the old Skype timer for the last time we talked. And it said, like, talk to Brandon Mount- Martin 20 days ago. I was like, really? 20 <laughs> days? Been that long? But it's, man, uh, it's hard to believe. It's, it's that key time of year. You know, we've been we've all been putting that time in and learning and going through things. So it's been it's been an exciting time. So definitely excited to jump back into it a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I got to say, I've really been looking forward to this interview. Um, I've I've actually heard our guest in other uh, places before. He's got a lot of articles out there. He's nice. he's uh, he's a man in demand, I guess you could say. Well, and there there's <laughs> there's a lot of reason for that. And uh, we're going to mainly focus on his skill 
hunting from the ground, something that you know is near and dear to my heart mm-hmm. and is a mm-hmm. reality for, I would even say, maybe it's dangerous to say this, but I would say most new hunters spend mm-hmm. quite a bit of time hunting from the ground just because they still don't have all the all the tree stand gear and everything yet. Yep. And, and sure. it's kind of the easiest way to just roll into it. So we want to focus on that. And the guy that we brought on is a ground hunting cold-blooded killer and that is mr (laughs) tony treach tony thank you so much for coming on the show tonight thanks for having me on guys anytime yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, as I said, Tony is a man in demand. He uh, has a lot of articles out there. I mean, just doing a quick Google search, and you'll find all sorts of stuff the guy has contributed to the industry. Um, like I said, he's been interviewed in other places, and um, just uh, a lot of a lot of great hunting content you can even find following him on Instagram. So by the end of the show, we'll definitely tell you how you can follow along with Tony. But Tony... I mean, I, I follow a lot of guys, a lot of, you know, even some of the biggest names in hunting, but I'm going to say that there are, there are very few people out there that hit the fall hunting season harder than you do. And I mean, it is just impressive how much hunting you, you fit in. And obviously it's a very, uh, regimented schedule that you've created to, uh, you know, make that all work out for you. But man, the, just from the number of days and tags you're you're going after, you're really kind of a modern day Daniel Boone. <laughs> <laughs> so just to kind of paint that picture though for everybody, can you kind of give us a rundown of everywhere you were chasing after big game this 2020 fall hunting season? Yeah. So 2020 was uh, kind of a typical year for me. I, 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 you know, carpet bomb the entire West, uh, for tags and, uh, kind of wherever they fall, you know, they fall sure. and usually have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to get, but there's always a couple of surprises. But this year I had a, uh, uh, an early season Nevada archery deer tag that started in August. And then uh, I wish I spent more points on than I've ever spent on any tag before. Uh, mm. I had eight points for that tag. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm a big fan of the hunting tags early and, you know, or it's spending points. I don't, I don't want to sit on a lot of points, but sure. Mm-hmm. From there, I went to Colorado. I had a deer tag, just a zero-point archery uh, unit, but it's it's you know it's it's a unit I've killed 200 plus inch deer before in. So oh wow, good tag. Um, and then I had a uh, an archery elk tag in Colorado, and then uh, from there I had a Montana the general combo, uh, which used to be pretty easy to get. Nowadays, it's kind of a coin flip. Uh, to okay, get that. But it's uh, you know because you have deer and elk uh, both. And then right. uh, Wyoming, Wyoming general deer tag and a handful of doe tags and cow tags. Um, and then uh, was home for a little bit and then uh, just enough to process game and clean up gear and get ready and head to Kansas, uh, which I do every year. That's kind of my, my finish up, you know, using my last hunt of the year. And it's, it's almost always my, my most memorable hunt of the year. But this year uh, it really was because I took my dad for the first time. He uh, he finally decided to, to retire. Uh, and nice. He, he uh, came down with me and shot his best buck he's ever shot. Nice. Wow, that's awesome, mm. man. So was was he a was he into hunting as much as you were when you were growing when you were growing oh. up? And he was he was oh. a younger guy. I didn't have a choice. I was like seven or eight years old, and he was literally putting me 
well, sometimes there wasn't even a stand. He'd have a tree stand, you know, and, and these were all homemade stands. This has got, you know, this is probably, mm-hmm. I was born in 74, so this is like early 80s. Sure. And he'd just, well, here, uh, you know, I was on our way climbing up the trees, like sit on this branch and don't move. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there for hours, my butt's going numb, and I'm getting cold, and I'm hungry, and I'm 70 years old, so I'm probably wiggling. And after a few times, he probably realized that, okay, I'm not seeing squat with this little <laughs> kid down here moving around. So he's me in my own stand. Yep. I still remember the first year that I saw that came underneath me. I was probably eight years old. And I mean, I, I would, this stand couldn't have been, it would, there was no such thing as ladder stands back there. In fact, sure, maybe, yeah. maybe it was made out of two by fours, but there wasn't any commercially made. But this thing was the height of a ladder stand and my feet were dangling down. And I thought for sure this buck's antlers were going to hit my boots. So much. <laughs> I was so and I remember picking up my feet and he kind of looked up and saw it and took off. And I told my, to this day, my dad probably still doesn't remember or believe me how big that buck was, but I, he was a solid like hundred inch buck looking back at it now. Yeah. Yeah. Back then when I was a kid, I mean, in this area, you, no one saw those. It was just, sure. You know, yeah. They weren't there, but I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Dad was, dad was as hardcore as they came in our area, but, but he never left the, never left home. You know, it was a very, mm-hmm. you know, homebody type hunter and and that's and that's what i was too until i got out of college yeah well that's awesome to have that heritage and and those memories i've been taking my own son out a couple times for a couple of bow hunting outings this fall and you know you kind of it's kind of like uh you know some guys talk about using those observation tree stands in like early october you know where you're not really you think maybe i'll get a hail mary here So that's that's kind of how I feel when I take my son out. It's like probably not going to see anything, but but uh, that that experience is so important. And yeah, I actually uh, posted a video last week. My wife she uh, comes out in the living room, and uh, my son is sitting on the couch with his uh, you know electronic shotgun with a fancy orange tip on it, and uh, uh, he's grabbed a couple of my sheds. And uh, he's sitting there rattling on the couch <laughs> like he saw me do a few weeks ago. We were hunting, and he's, like, saying a prayer for a big buck to walk by. It's like, man, he's been watching me too closely. <laughs> and when he and when he missed his first shot, that's when I knew he was watching me too closely. So, <laughs> But, but no, those the, those experiences are priceless with, with kids. And obviously, for you, it, it helps stick for a lifetime. You know, one of the things we talk about all the time here on, on First Gen is how so much of hunting is learning new things. Was there anything, after all these years of hunting, hunting all over the country, was there anything new that you learned this hunting season? Man, I learn new stuff all the time, but yeah, I'm getting to the age now where I forget it. It's as fast as I learn it. <laughs> but, um, but I think I've finally come to the realization that I am not effective in the hot Southwest in the early archery seasons. I, hmm. I had an Arizona deer tag a few years ago, um, and just cooked. Uh, I had a, uh, Utah, you know, self, self, uh, West Utah archery early tag a couple years ago and just cooked. Uh, I actually drew a Nevada tag two years ago, uh, scouted it for 10 days, uh, roasted my butt off and turned it back in because I couldn't find anything, any old mature deer. It was a real bad drought year. Hmm. And then this year, you know, I, I thought for sure I, you know, I, I was making a good decision with this tag and I'm, uh, I tell you what, uh, a Northern Michigan guy like myself, uh, I can, I can handle cold a whole lot better than I can handle that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it, it kicked my butt down there this year. I mean, there was, uh, there were days, there's just days where it's like, man, what, what am I doing? This is, uh, this is not my style of hunting. Mm, yeah. Physically, yep. I, yeah, I think you need to lower your, know your limitations on, uh, what you can handle. And I, you know, I can handle a lot of cold, a whole lot easier than I can handle the heat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% in agreement with you. And here's the weird thing: I'm a teacher, <laughs> so summers are supposed to be like the biggest perk of my entire career, right? But <laughs> summers summers are, are my least favorite season for the exact same reason: just mm-hmm. that sweltering heat. And I love to be outside, but you're right; we got to know our limits. And and in many ways, you know, we do think of the cold as being, you know, dangerous for hypothermia and stuff, but. I think it's easier for people to get into trouble, honestly, when they're trying to do some of that stuff in the heat. You're sweating, especially in the Southwest where the sweat is evaporating off you so yeah. quickly that you don't feel sweaty, but you're yeah. just you're just leaking water and and uh, people don't pack in enough. They uh, bring along too much gear and just bog themselves down. Yeah, it's it's a taxing thing. So. Yeah, that's a. That's, and I've gotten heat stroke before out there, and just, or you know, maybe not heat exhaustion, maybe not heat stroke, but I mean, just I, you know, you, you, and then you just can't drink enough water, and it takes a day to recover, and it's like, man, it just, it's not how you want to spend your hunt. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, I do want to hit kind of that specific idea here by the end of the show, where I'm going to kind of give you some different scenarios here, and, and the first question I'm going to ask for each one of them is, what time of year would you pursue this game? And uh, I think that's something that could really help a lot of people who maybe haven't done a lot of out of state hunting because you know they're more so just looking at when's the easiest time to take vacation take vacation time off to go but that might not be the best time of year to give them a reasonable chance at filling a tag so i definitely want to want to bring that up here in in a second here but as we get into this concept of hunting on the ground and uh kind of we talked before the show i know you've you've talked on this before and so i don't want to just parrot what's already uh, been been covered out there so i kind of want to just go through some general tips here and i think probably whitetail hunting is the species most listeners can relate to but i do mm-hmm. want to um so i'll kind of come at it from that lens i guess that's definitely the most experienced branded and i have but mm-hmm. I do. If you if you have something that you could throw in here, maybe specifically for another game species, uh, for some of these tips, definitely go for it. But let's just start out by saying, what percentage of the time do you think you spend hunting from the ground? And again, all species uh, percentage from from the ground versus in either an elevated blind or tree stand or something like that. One hundred percent. Oh, wow. I, the last, uh, the last time I climbed up in a tree was, uh, wow, probably 2012. I killed a, a buck in, in, uh, Southwest Illinois on a farm that I'd hunted for, I don't know, probably a decade. Um, uh, you know, a great buck, like 165 whitetail, triple eye guards on one side, awesome. gorgeous, big bladed buck. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, sometimes I miss, I miss hunting that farm and miss, miss hanging out with those farmers and going back there. But, you know, to, to take time off from my time in the mountains to go hang out back in Illinois and Ohio and Iowa, like I used to is, I just haven't, I just haven't made that, that commitment to, to go back. Sure. And mm-hmm. Even, you know, in Kansas where I hunt, there's just, I mean, you're just, 
you're just wasting your time moving trees. Um, even this year with my dad, you know, he couldn't, he can't climb a tree anymore. And he also can't hunt them spot and stalk and decoying like I do. So yeah. I put him in a spot, one of the very, very few spots. I mean, I only, I only had like two or three options. I'm like, well, you're just going to sit your butt here and they're going to come by you. I promise. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and they did, and, you know, in, in I think three or four days he hunted before he shot, I think he only saw four deer. They're all, all mature bucks, but that's awesome. The, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been in a tree. Oh, that's, that's really cool. That's man, only four deer, but all be mature bucks. That's a, <laughs> you put them in the right spot, but yeah, I kind of want to talk about this, uh, spot and stock and decoying method here. Uh, you know, when I guess most people view and we'll stick here with whitetails for a minute. Most people view whitetail hunting as almost exclusively an ambush style, whether that be from a tree stand or even hunting on the ground, you know, you, you're asking questions like okay where's the where's the main food source where are they where are most of the deer bedding you know are there any areas here where a mature buck is gonna maybe prioritize based on wind and and elevation and thermals stuff like that but it sounds like you're identifying these deer and then going and getting them can you kind of explain your process for that well it's still the same idea you 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 gotta you know you want to be a at a key spot, uh, vantage point at, at daybreak to over a food source or a, a transition area from a food source to a bedding. Okay. What time of the year? I mean, that's no different. It's just it's just that where I hunt, uh, majority of my whitetails now, it's either you know it's it's in eastern Montana or it's in Kansas, and mm-hmm. there's no trees. There's not. So I'm you know I mean there is some trees, but honestly the deer don't prefer them. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. But, much rather bed in some tall grass and weeds and uh, or some little coolies or a big washout so i'm i'm doing anything i can to get up high and and uh, be able to glass them up first thing in the morning whether it's climbing on top of an old farmer's barn climbing on top of my truck uh oil 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 tanks uh you know anything i can uh, windmills uh anything to get elevation on that flatter ground or you know in some spots there is actually hills uh and then just covering ground it's until it's, it's a lot of driving, it's a lot of walking, it's a lot of, you know, your eyes get sore, but <laughs> I my you know, it's, it's very different, uh, than, than what, what I did before I, you know, I, there, there was a light, light bulb that went off probably about seven or eight, maybe nine years ago now. And it might be a decade ago that in this same area, we tried hunting when we got there, like we did in Michigan. And we tried, we tried sitting in blinds. We tried hunting these little cottonwood draws and we in these little river bottoms and we saw deer, but they were all four or 500 yards away. And then we just sat there and just watched, like, what are we doing? And then yeah. we all, two or three days, like, what are we doing? And, yeah. and we totally had to rethink what we were doing. And of course, those guys, my old buddies, college buddies don't come hunt with me anymore. Uh, but it's, uh, the game's evolved a lot. And now it's just a matter of I find him as fast as I can and watch. And once I find something I want, I I watch him until he beds or, you know, he's, he's or, you know, he, him and his doe will settle up somewhere and then, then I make my move. Sure. So you're kind of hitting on something that has, you know, first gen hunter. That's that's named after the people we're trying to help here. But it's also named after my own experience. You know, I have not been hunting for a very long time. This is my sixth deer season. And in the six years I've been hunting, you kind of addressed one of the main issues that I've come across, which is just 
man, I'm sitting over here and I see deer way over there. I feel like I'm in a good spot or I'm just not seeing deer or, um, I'm in maybe a good spot to maybe even get close enough for a shot to deer, but I'm not having, I'm not, I'm not in a spot that offers enough cover to where I'm going to be able to draw back a bow and not get busted, you know? And Mm -hmm. so is, is that kind of the reason why you ended up evolving to this type of hunting? It was just like, I got to create more luck because I'm spending so much time not, not getting the deer to do what I need them to do. So I need to go change my approach to do what I need to do to get to the deer. Is that kind of why you were doing that? Well, it was just a simple, simple matter of we, I could see where they're at and they weren't where I was at. And, uh, Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of subtle terrain features that, you know, once you get out there and start walking, sometimes you look across one of those fields in the prairie States and it looks like just as grass, it's Mm -hmm. flat as you can see. You start walking across it, and all of a sudden that ankle high grass turns to knee high grass, and then that knee high grass turns to waist high grass, and then all of a sudden it's up to your chest. Mm. And you look back at your truck at you know a quarter mile, half mile off the road, and it's the, the top of the grass is at the same level, and you don't even know that there's all these little mm. draws, little draws up there. Those deer, are up. that's that's where they're betting, and a lot of times mm. that's where you find those bucks will take those does and lock down. That's where they're gonna get away from the other deer, and it's. You know, it was just a, once I realized that's where they're, what they're doing, it's like, I mean, game on. And then yeah, a couple of years later, I found the decoy, which was like the missing the missing link, the heads up decoy was the missing link to the whole program. Because now, before you'd, I'd, you know, you sneak up, you stalk in, and then you sure hope that when he stands up out of that grass, you got a shot. One, two, that you see him or you see him do it before he sees you. But now mm-hmm. I want him to see me. And he yeah. does. He comes closer and he freezes and lets me draw. I mean, they, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a whole different. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of explain that heads up decoy for us? How that, how that works? Yeah. Well, I'll also say that it's also a small company from his name's Garrett Rowe. He lives in Kansas. He is such a good guy. I literally had a, a Montana decoy, like the big fold up, fold out, uh, fold up, uh, mm-hmm. Hildo. Yeah. I grabbed it like, I don't know, I think it was 2015 or 14. I went out there and I, I grabbed the wrong legs. I had a identical uh, elk decoy and I grabbed the elk legs. So it was oh, like, no. <laughs> off the ground. And I thought it was funny. And I took a little picture of it and put it on Instagram. I'm like, yeah, I guess I guess this will work better at long ranges. But I got a really tall <laughs> and, uh And Garrett literally got a hold of me. He's like, messaged me on Instagram. He's like, Hey, that looks like Kansas. Where are you at? And we exchanged a couple messages. He's like, meet me over here tomorrow at noon. And I met him and he even helped me set the decoy adapter on my, on my bow and, you know, behind the stabilizer. And I left there with like everything I needed. I mean, he gave me the decoy, he gave me the rundown. He's like, they're going to come, they're going to see this decoy and they're going to want to come rip it out of your pants or out of the bow. And that's literally awesome. The- the next day, I killed my biggest Kansas buck I've ever killed, whitetail, 184 and a half inch. Uh, Man. And he literally was coming to take it off me at my boat. He oh, behind me. I had two other bucks <laughs> watch me as I was rattling, and they wouldn't come any closer. And the reason was that one was right behind me the whole time. Um, and if I hadn't turned around, he probably took the bow right out of my hand. But I mean, wow. it literally is 
So you can, it comes with a ground, or you know, it doesn't come with a ground steak, but you can buy the opto, optimal or optional ground steak. It has a, like a clamp. Uh, you can clamp it to a cactus or a yucca or something or, or a branch, whatever. Uh, and the decoy fits in all these different slots. And it also has a bone mount. Um, I rigged up a, a homemade, I've, I've actually been talking to Garrett at, at heads up about it, but, and he's, he's working on something too, but something taller so that the decoy stands up out of the weeds a little bit more to give you a little more coverage. If, cause when it's windy, you don't want to attach to your bow. I mean, it is, a, it is a sail yeah. real big, but it's, it's actual size. So it's the size of a neck, like sure. a neck, shoulder and head of a, of a white tail buck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I had, I, I rigged up a little, like a, you know, a, the ground attachment that got it up about 20 inches off the ground, but it's, it's fantastic. I, and I don't, I, in all honesty, I have not tried it with deer here in Michigan. I need to just to see what, what spooked pressured deer would do to it. Cause mm-hmm. yeah. you pressured where I'm hunting there down there and in Montana. They're just, they're just not right. They don't yeah. Many people, um, you know, you know, here in Michigan, we're like we have six hundred thousand hunters every year in the woods. I don't know if this is still going to work the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if your deer aren't just scared out of their minds, this thing works amazing. And they literally freeze. I've had deer at three feet, like they were almost. They were literally sniffing the broadhead as I drew. Um, these are <laughs> wow. Dope. But these are it works on bucks and does. I mean, you can literally. Yeah. I've sucked in animals of all kinds, and uh, I mean, I shot my doe this year at three feet. <laughs> wow three feet that is and that was that was from my my bow arm so you know for me she's maybe you know five and a half feet wow <laughs> that is insane i am updating my christmas list the second this <laughs> recording yeah, kidding. that's so can you can you give us the name for that one more time uh yeah it's heads up decoy heads up decoy okay yep. Based so, out of Hayes, Kansas. Awesome. Sounds like a good small business. Always great to support them. So yeah, definitely give them a, give them a look up because Tony is a guy who kills a lot of deer. And if he's saying it works, that's the, that's better than any kind of uh four or five star review you can find online. When you actually hear from yeah. somebody who's using it and using it to great success, that's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a helpful tool there for sure. Well, speaking of tools and hunting from the ground here, are you, um, trying to feather yourself in with some of the natural cover you have available are you just relying on good camo are you wearing a ghillie suit what are you Mm. doing to try and you know stay invisible that's a good question uh no ghillie suit um honestly half the time i'm wearing solid uh colors you know you know you know i'm a big fan of sitka so i'm I'm using sitka gear for my clothing but i don't uh i don't always have on their uh one of their two patterns you know know, that i use i a lot of times i've got on a solid uh i really don't i think i think using something to as a backdrop behind you in addition to that decoy is 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 key you know just you're still it's 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 one of the first lessons my dad taught me when i was eight, nine years old, you know, if you stand out in that tree stand on the end of the tree stand and, and stick your head out there, they're going to see it. If you keep your body next to the trunk, your silhouette disappears. You don't want mm-hmm. silhouette. Um, so I, don't, I think it's the same thing on the ground there. You know, and a lot of this grass is, uh, it's, it's patchy. It's not, you might, you might have a stretch. And I think usually the best bedding areas either have really tall weeds or they have patchy grass where you'll have uh, this, these, these different clumps of fescue that are, some are two foot tall, some are eighty, you know, eight inches tall, some are four foot tall. Sure. So once, I, once I find my like the buck I shot this year, 
Um, and I, I literally had to get 15 feet from him before I decided to kill him. Um, I, I watched him several times. I, this was actually the third time I snuck in on him. And I, I watched him with his doe bed down, uh, actually for the second time on this stock. They moved on me. And I had to relocate him. As soon as I did, I didn't put the wind in my favor. I didn't come in from directly downwind of him. Those deer will always, well, not I shouldn't say always, especially him. He literally, he, this time, he bed to re- looking directly at the doe. That's all he cared. Mm. But then mm-hmm. doe. That, but that doe is looking directly downwind, and that's yeah. most of the time. If, and if he didn't wasn't thinking with you know you know what instead of his head, he would have been looking downwind too. But sure. But in this case, he's just looking at her. He's gonna do whatever she wants to do. They're on lockdown. She's looking downwind. If I come sneaking through that grass right downwind, she might catch me. So what I do is I'll actually put the wind quartering in her favor. So I'm coming from almost downwind or almost upwind. You know, okay. Yeah. Degree. Um, and that way they're not, they're not looking my direction and this doesn't work in, if you got deep washouts or coolies or big canyons draws, this does not work. It has to be flat because you, otherwise you get swirling winds, but if it's flat and you have a consistent wind, make the deer think that it's the advantage is theirs coming from that quartering upwind and, you know, a wind that if it switched just you know over a side the game be over but you, you know you have to have enough experience in the area to know that it's not going to do that and think about Canada mm-hmm. or eastern yeah. Montana always blowing so yeah and it's pretty flat so it works but as soon as I do that yes the next thing I start looking for is those tall clumps of grass the one that's mm-hmm. close enough that I can set up for and then I wait for him to stand up I don't want to make him stand up I don't want to make a noise okay. I'm going to find one of those tall patches of grass, one, three, four foot tall, maybe hopefully with something in front of me between him and I, that's shorter that I can, that I can shoot through. And I, I actually found the perfect spot this year with this one. I mean, I had my back up against like a four foot tall wall of fescue. Um, I think that's what it was. Um, and uh, I was just sat there for, you know, an hour until it was a little bit different situation because the weather changed very rapidly from a South wind and, 70 degrees to a north wind and 30 degrees and I had, oh, I had, wow. I had, yeah i have one one thin layer on too i had to actually uh-huh. change, change game plan but i was set up there i was about 15 yards from him and if he just stood up he'd have never seen me and i could have been wearing blue jeans and red flannel it wouldn't have mattered yeah um, because the backdrop wow. was so good the decoy was four foot in front of me on a ground stake because it was super windy but eventually i froze and i had to make a move so something yeah changed. yeah but so when you're, so I got a couple questions here for you just on, on how this is working. So first of all, I got to imagine that it's probably pretty tough to maintain focus while you're waiting there for that buck to finally get up. Or maybe mm. this would answer that question. Do they shift around so much during the day where they're, they're standing up every once every hour to kind of circle around and lay back down or what, what's that weight like? It's always different, but it's definitely not hard to maintain focus. Um, if I, I mean, I, I glass up, you know, for every buck that I find that I want to kill, I'm probably glassing, depending on the state, you know, who knows, 50 to maybe sometimes 500 bucks before I find one I want to shoot. So wow. when I'm 15 yards from, if I'm 15 yards from and I put myself in that situation and everything's worked out that good so far, my focus is not wavering. And I'm, yeah. the only thing I'm, the only thing is my old knees and my old ankles falling asleep on me. And sometimes you can, you can kind of, you can kind of get a, a feeling for, 
just how much wiggle room you have. Uh, it gets so windy down there sometimes. You could get up, you could lay on your back and stretch in, in behind that decoy, and then even if they stood, just wait till they're looking away and then stamp and you know get back on your knees. It's the wind is your is your friend when you're doing this my style hunting. It, yeah. you, without it, you cannot do it. Um, yeah. But but no, it's it's not it's not hard to. It, hard to get in on them and they will go they'll they'll be up and down all day long during that lockdown phase she'll get antsy I mean, you gotta remember she's kind of almost like a little prisoner uh yeah so it, i think she decides sometimes where they go but he decides what they do so mm-hmm. or maybe i have that backwards but you could tell it's a there's a mutual thing there but neither of them are like completely happy with the other one so it's yeah it, there's there's constant anxiety between them and they're up and they're down they're up and they're down you usually don't have to wait a whole long time it's a whole lot different than hunting say Alpine, you know, mule deer above timberline, out, you know, in the, in the mountains where once they get in their second bed, they might not move for six hours. Oh, hours. man. Unless, yeah. yeah. So you just, you know, you, that's, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. The rut is completely different. Yeah, definitely. So then the other question I have for you, when you're shooting on the ground like that, probably through some relatively thick cover at times, what are you using for broadheads? I love the iron wheel broadheads. I'm a big fan of a of a, a small, compact fixed blade broadhead. I have had uh, a, and it's and it's a and it's a you know it's it's a it's a broadhead they still make. Uh, I'm actually a fan of it. It's uh, you know it was the old Omer Omer Edge. I loved that broadhead, uh, but I had one catch some grass one time on the closest whitetail buck at that at that time. This was probably this was in Montana probably. 2014 or 15 maybe 16 i don't remember um and he uh he was dogging a doe had a little another little buck kept coming up up and bugging him and when they finally bedded down he bedded down to the point where his i mean he laid his head in the grass and i intentionally got her attention and hmm. drew her sucker to me with a decoy and then scared her away and then and he never, he was out he was out like a rock and i walked up to nine feet and stuck an arrow in him but that oh wow that Elmer <laughs> Ed did grab the uh the um the grass and it, even at that close range it's a mate one blade of grass well and i and i shoot a heavy arrow i mean a 500 grain 18 percent foc it, yeah it moved point of impact at nine feet a foot and, perfect. and so it, at that point he was all he was the the closest buck i'd ever shot at and the longest because my second shot was 106 and that Whoa. one that one put it through both lungs and he died shortly after that but the first one it had moved it from basically a frontal uh, as he's laying there kind of facing me with his head on the ground to, you know, put it in his neck. And uh, oh, he, man. I, I mean, I just got lucky that he stopped to actually, he stopped to look for that doe. He realized, Oh, what's going on? There was a doe here. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, yeah, no, I think that I think those smaller diameter fixed blade broadheads are, I, I, they make them so well now. And the guys, are, you know, Bill at Ironwell, I mean, you want to talk to a talk to an intelligent guy in the archery industry. I mean, Bill has those things dialed in. I mean, they're just they're the best made broadhead on the planet. I think I, mm-hmm. they're not cheap, but you get what you pay for. And yeah, they spin and fly as good as any. You know, and I'm I shouldn't say that they're probably. I'm sure there's there's guys who would argue that you know that, that it's impossible for any broadhead with wings on it to fly as good as an ex- expandable, but. I can get them to group right with everything at very long distances. They're, they're fantastic. 
Mm, that's a that's a great wow. tip. Yeah, that's something that that uh, you know I'm kind of weighing for for next year. I've not been happy with with how my broadheads have been performing this year, and and uh, trying to <laughs> trying to figure that out, especially since I do quite a bit of ground hunting. But I would also say though to your to your listeners though, I, w- I wouldn't advise shooting through grass with any broadhead. I don't think sure. I, it it might affect it more if it's opening up a, a you know a blade on a, on an expandable yeah. because there's moving parts there but it's still going to make a fixed blade move too yeah i don't mm-hmm. i hear i hear guys on podcasts talk about that all the time like oh there was just a little bit of brush and it was you know it was in front of them it's like well then you don't have a shot yeah, yeah. right there's, yeah it's uh i mean i i missed one blade of grass and it almost cost me a great buck um, mm-hmm. yeah I don't, I don't think that yeah, I think I think guys really overestimate what their archery equipment's capable of because they haven't practiced shooting through that grass and stuff. Maybe you know, find some three foot tall grass, put a target out fifteen feet in front of you, and try shooting it and see what happens. You're gonna miss that yeah. target more often than not. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I just saw that on a video from the hunting public that they put out for this year. Uh, they had a nice buck uh, here in Iowa, and um, I think it was uh, Aaron uh, Warbritton, and uh, had a great shot on it they went back and looked at the footage and just like you're saying he hit like just the smallest twig and it turned it from a you know like a perfect shot to uh went almost into the neck from and the stick was less than a foot from the deer i mean just just changed it so fast so that's a great point and and something that you're right only practice can really uh amend that for us and just being so careful when we're we're choosing where we're going to put those shots so speaking of shots another uh issue that can come from hunting from the ground is if you do make contact the blood trail might be a little bit different because uh if you're shooting like kind of what we're talking here where you're basically on the same plane as the deer it could take a while for the the blood to tank up in that chest cavity and uh, start start spilling out the sides. So, other than just always hitting a slam dunk, you know, top of the heart aorta region shot, do you have any other tips for kind of not letting this problem become as much of a problem for you when you're hunting from the ground? Uh, well, most of the spots that I'm hunting with this tactic off the ground it's i can see them from a long ways away so that it's kind of mm-hmm. that takes the place of a lot of times your blood trail um yeah. but i'll also say don't shoot through fences uh i i've done it and got away with it um and i'm hunting on large chunks of property they have fences all over the place it's all the same property owners but this uh past year uh not 2020 but 2019 uh i shot a great white tail in uh, kansas like 172 inch uh, uh awesome and he was he was great. Uh, everything was perfect. Um, I, I snuck in on him. I watched, you know, found him in the morning, snuck in, and uh, got the attention of his, of his doe with my decoy. She just came over to me like 10 yards away then kind of relaxed and went back to feeding. He got up like, and then as soon as he saw me, I mean, those are their ears pinned back. And, he, mm-hmm. and he's coming, he's coming. He's, he won't, he's not going to jump the fence because I think, you know, I, who knows what. In my mind, he's like, it's almost like that kid that wants to fight, but really doesn't want to fight. So he gets behind his buddies and like, Oh yeah, what'd you say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Fence in between us. And, uh, and I'm like, it's only 35 yards. This is a chip shot. And I, I shot and I hit the fence uh-huh. and, and uh, with a decoy, you'd be amazed how little they react. Cause they don't, th- th- there's no danger to them. It's just yeah. a little 
thud noise, and like I said, I shoot a heavy, heavy arrow, so the bow's pretty quiet. And it was a it was a fatal shot. It went back, but he just stood there. So I knocked another arrow and did the same thing, hit the fence again. <laughs> legs. Oh. And then he moves out a little ways. And it, it was it was it was uh, and by this point I'm rattled. And it was yeah. not and there things went downhill, but uh I ended up getting them, but it took all day. And I will say that you you just have a lot more obstacles in your in your way. And I never thought, you know, I'm like, what, what are the chance one of those four strands of barbell yeah. is gonna catch my arrow? Well, apparently pretty good. Um, so even if there's no grass, you, you know, tumbleweeds are blowing, grass, you know, there's there's crops, everything, everything's everything's in your field of view. So I think maybe that's a good point that, and I had to learn learn it the hard way last year is that everything's in your way uh, yeah. of your shot, and you really got to be careful of what's in you know what's in front of you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that is a great point. So. Um, We've kind of talked about this a little bit with your broadheads, the the heads-up decoy. Um, what are some other pieces of gear that are unique to ground hunting that you just have to have? Like something that would be worth, like, let's say you're, you're uh, setting off to go try and get within range of this buck, and uh, you realize, you know, you're a third of the way there. Oh, I don't have whatever it is. And you would actually go back to the truck to get... I hope you guys are enjoying this conversation as much as Brandon and I did. Tony is a guy who has such diverse and I don't know if the right word here, Brandon, would be thorough experience Mm -hmm. hunting uh, these different game species and and just a a wealth of experience being in different states even and seeing the differences in terrain and, and available cover and food sources and everything like that. So I hope you guys are really enjoying this and and sopping up all of this great information. To make it even better, we're going to go to Brandon, the man of many deer seasons himself, to kind of talk about some uh, late season deer patterning tactics to kind of get you hunting in the right place at the right time during this, this, as we, I guess we could say we're trending towards the late season at this point. Yeah. It's the last day of November today. We're going to yep. be officially into December tomorrow. So let's 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 go ahead and say that the late season has officially started. Brandon, what do you got <laughs> for us? Yep, yep. Well, you know, just kind of in tandem with the interview that we're doing with Tony, you know, talking about adaptability and, you know, basically changing tactics depending on where you're at. You know, and it's no different uh, whether you're hunting different states than you usually do or whether you're hunting, you know, where you typically are. But now we're transitioning towards the late season. So, you know, one of the things you want to do as you get towards the late season, you know, you figure by this point, a lot of states have had their gun season or their first gun season. Or there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of pressure with, you know, the, the hunters in the woods. Um, and so what you're doing at this point, you know, what you really want to do is use the power of technology with cell cams you know they're they're plentiful now you can get them for a good price 
um, get a good cell cam, and what you want to do, what you want to do is identify, um, you know, a good food source and a good, you know, it kind of, this always goes back. So much of this goes back to the the food in the bed, but if you can identify a, a great food source and a bedding area and set up on a transition point between the two with a cell cam, it's really going to help you repattern those deer, re-inventory those deer. You know, for those of us who maybe we don't have, you know, a thousand acres to hunt, you know, maybe we've got, you know, blocks of acreage um, where we've got other neighbors hunting property around us and whatnot. We want to repattern and reallocate those deer, you know, to, to get an inventory of what's remaining um, and then ultimately pattern them towards daytime movement. What we'll typically do is we will kind of watch from a distance, you know, with the cell cams uh, is what we're doing this year and, and basically just waiting. You know, right now we've got most of our deer are moving between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. You know, they're, they're just nocturnal right now, having been pressured so much. Um, and so right now we're kind of playing a, a wait and see approach as they start to transition back to daytime movement take advantage of being able to get out there and then and then get after them with the right wind etc so using the power of those cell cams um to you know to essentially help you avoid having to go out too much um you can kind of you know observe from a distance and then repatterning those deer so when they go back to that daytime movement which they will over the coming weeks um as that pressure is lessened as they kind of get back to their their normal you know scope of things you know transitioning between bedding and food you're able to get after them so the tip would be, you know, use the power of technology and uh, be smart about uh, putting the setup where you have the cam in, ideally in a place that would be advantageous for wind as well. That's just kind of a final point, you know, here and in many places of the country, you've got predominant north winds, west winds, northwest winds, things of that nature. So think about that as you're setting up, you know, if you've got access, maybe you don't have a cell cam, um, you've got to access the cam, set it up in a place that's going to be easy for you to access without causing an issue on the wind side of things. So just a few facets to consider as we try to <clears throat> re-identify what bucks are remaining and, and repatterning them as we go into the late season. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And taking that extra initiative, and we talk about that in this, this interview, yep. you know, it, it's a lot of times that's what separates the people who are going to maybe occasionally see deer and those who are going to see deer regularly and be in the position to kill deer regularly yep. is, is just yep. going those extra miles to take that action and, and try and, and figure it out. And, and Brandon makes a great point. Not everybody's got a ton of, you know, perfect uh, private ground at their disposal. So you got to you gotta try and uh, make use of what you do have. And that's a great way to get that done. Well, we're going to go ahead and go back to Tony here with part two of the interview. Um, boy, that would be unique to other styles of hunting. I mean, it- well, well, just yeah, just yeah, to specifically for ground hunting. Like, is it a comfort thing? Is it a no? Maybe this- just knee pads. Uh, you know, my Sitka, most of my Sitka pants have a slot for knee pads that they make. They go in there. Uh, before I start was using wearing the Sitka pants uh, specifically, exclusively. I would take uh, Arterix makes a great pair. They're the best pair of uh, external uh, outside knee pads I ever had. Mm-hmm. They are okay. I mean, it, it makes the difference between kneeling there behind that decoy, waiting for that buck to stand up for 45 minutes, pleasurable or like excruciating. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. There's lots of cactus uh, out there. Um, I have rattlesnake proof uh, gators. Uh, hardly ever use them. Uh, I'll be honest. I gave them to my dad this year and I told him, you keep these on all the time. Don't take them off. 
but I, uh, I, I, I have a hard time wearing them just because they're so dang hot and noisy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably another thing that in these states, if you're going to be walking through a lot of, you know, waist high grass in late October, early November, a lot of times it's 75 degrees. It is just a haven for rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I see them constantly. So that probably one that I would advise people to use, even though I, I leave mine in the truck most time, but, but knee pads are, are pretty important. Um, there's no way on earth I'm taking off my shoes in these areas just because of the, all the little thorns and the, the, the sand burrs and the, sure. mm-hmm. um, but a good, a good comfortable pair of boots that you can move quietly with. That's, you know, no, in terms of, in terms of like your scent, do you, you know, obviously a little bit of obviously a different approach that you're taking. Are you obviously of course focused on the wind, but do you do anything, you know, additionally, that, you know, just kind of with, with being on the ground and being out in the weeds and the, you know, knee high grass when not putting the scent out there, do you, is there any additional rituals that you have that you kind of go through to, to control the scent? The best scent is no scent. And the mm. only time I worry about scent is if, uh, like this year, my dad, I put up a couple pop-up blinds for my dad mm-hmm. uh, and we sprayed those down. That's yep. the first time I've used scent in probably almost 10 years. Wow. Uh, any type of scent killer. Mm-hmm. If they if they can smell that scent killer, they're going to smell you. I, 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 I do not believe in any of the clothing products that hide scent. I don't believe in any of the stuff that you really spray yourself is going to be 100%. Yeah. Um, I've, I mean, I lived the whitetail game. Before I started doing this mountain in the, in the prairie hunting exclusively, I used to just travel around the Midwest doing the same exact mm-hmm. thing. I'd be gone for two months at a time doing that. You know, I did that for – Yeah. For 10 years and I've, I've lived the, you know, I had, you know, put up 20 stands in Iowa, you know, and, and hunt and run, run the trail cameras and do the scent thing. And I've watched what happens and I don't think that all the scent preparation and I went through the whole scent game and I think that nothing I did worked. I look back at the trail cameras I had, the pictures and those trail cameras will burn out so fast. Like the first time I checked them, they're done. And yeah. The tree stands. The first time I checked them, or you know, hunted them, or maybe second time they're done. As soon as you, you know, I just don't think that. I don't think you can fool their nose. I, I mm. do not think these products that are on the out there, you know, if they give you confidence, then well, then great. That's the different mm. thing. If they give you confidence. <laughs> yeah. Confidence means a lot, but it's going to burn you in the end because I, I think you really you can't cheat the wind, and like I said. I try to cheat the angles of the wind, mm-hmm. um, and uh, my key is to put the put the wind in. And this this only works in flat areas in the prairies where there's no swirls. But put it in what they think is in their favor, you know, yeah. quartering from behind them, instead of quartering from downwind or straight downwind. Straight downwind, you're just I mean, you're just like you're playing into their game. Yeah. Uh, but but as far as scent elimination products or in, you know, definitely, you know, no, no, no to them and definitely no to any like, uh, like cover scent stuff. Uh, yeah. Attractant scents are definitely, yeah. not, um, yeah. I get, it seems like I get some for Christmas every couple of years from somebody and I'll, I just <laughs> in my backyard in September and I don't touch it and I leave it and I put a trail camera on it. I get a couple of little Michigan two-year-olds, maybe, maybe even a three-year-old last year. And, yeah. uh, but I don't, but I don't touch it. That's the key, you know? Yeah. Uh, that stuff needs maintenance. It needs to be handled. It needs to be touched. It, it, it's the same thing with trail cameras, and it's the same thing yeah. with stands. We, and when I used to, the last year I hunted Iowa, we just I, I pretty much determined that one farm I had. I had an 800 acre farm that I had access to that had 
beans, corn, all kinds of river bottoms, creek bottoms. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. There's no way to hunt it. Yeah. There's yeah. no way to access a stand in any one spot where the deer are at. And we literally would blow – like you had like – okay, we have two days. When we move in, if you don't kill a deer, it's over. Hmm. For, or until a rifle because – and I literally – I haven't been back. Because like you, you can't – there's no way to get in and out of your stands without being seen or smelled. Yeah. And once you do that, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that what you're mentioning because, you know, like the the whole – you know, there's obviously a lot of different opinions on the scent side of things, but it's interesting what you're what you're mentioning about the whole. Well, it gives you confidence, you know. But I think like what you're mentioning is, um, you know, maybe it gives people confidence to the point of, oh, I can hunt that stand more. Or I can, you know, overpressure that area because I'm using this. And in, in actuality, boy, you just it's compounding the issue, you know, and mm-hmm. and making things that much worse. Is that correct? Yeah, I wasn't thinking about it like that. I was thinking of it as like confidence and like you know like getting up in the morning, getting out of, out of bed to go hunting. <laughs> right, of, right, right, right. <laughs> steering somebody down a path of doom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I mean, to really appreciate that perspective. So, I mean, thank you. That's, that's very helpful. Yeah. Oh, well, and I'm, I'm sure they work for some people. Uh, they've probably even worked for me before, but I just don't, uh, I, I think your odds in your favor, if, if they never smell anything, you brought into the woods with you, whether it be a yeah. type of scent or yourself. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have been learning that with with uh, the wind this year. You know, I, I, being as new to hunting as I am, I, I have like you know, books of knowledge I learn every year <laughs> that I go and and <laughs> and, and and this year, um, the wind is. I've just really observed that where I actually got a, a nice shot on a listeners know about this heartbreaking story, a nice shot on a, uh, a buck uh, back in October and um, didn't end up working out and found him alive 30 hours later. But um, it, the wind was just so perfect that he was, you know, probably a four year old buck and uh, he kind of picked my silhouette a little bit, I think, but because mm-hmm. he could not smell me because I had such a strong kind of like you're talking about that Kansas or Eastern Montana wind, you know, it's probably almost a 20 mile an hour wind. He, fact that he couldn't smell me just put him at total ease. He just disregarded whatever he thought he saw and gave mm-hmm. me a chance for a shot. And I don't know, you know, <laughs> like we we're talking if grass came into it or what, but shot didn't hit where I needed it to. So, but uh, yeah, wind is is so important, and you know one of the things I hear people usually it's a tree stand guy who's who's um, trying to you know say yeah you know if you do hunt on the ground one advantage is the wind doesn't blow your scent around quite as much. Do you take that into consideration when you're hunting on the ground? Do you do you feel like you can get away with a little bit more uh, with with your scent your scent carrying uh, or are you just so not not even worried about where your wind is going because you've planned to put yourself in the perfect spot as far as wind goes with this specific buck you're targeting? But if if I've got a bow in my hand, that means I've already found the buck with my binoculars and my spotting scope, either from the truck, from a from a top of a barn, from on top of an oil well, from on top of a small rise. And I mean, in these spots where I hunt, it, it could be like a ten foot, you know that's it and you're yeah. spotting my mile away that's 10 foot rise and i've already put a plan in, into action so at that point 
I mean, you have to adjust if things change, uh, like about this year. I mean, the wind changed 180 on me in Kansas this year, and I just I was lucky that I wasn't uh, tight to him when that happened. But mm-hmm. you always have so you always have to be reacting to it. But it's 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 the last thing in your mind when you're moving in because you've you've already okay the winds. I, I know what the winds doing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on it staying consistent. And right at this point, all all your you know, your, your senses have to be focused on the last spot you saw them until you get close enough to you can actually see his antler tips through the grass or, or her ears or, or whatever. And I mean, sometimes, I mean, you literally have to be, you know, you can almost kick them out of there like a, like a, like mm-hmm. a, um, before, before they move. So it's like, yeah, at that point, you know, the wind is the last year, you, you know, it's, you're in kill mode by the time you really need to, unless, unless you get a weather change. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Now, before we kind of go into our specific uh, scenarios here with some different species, um, do you only bow hunt or do you purchase some rifle tags as well? Uh, more and more rifle tags, actually, the last couple of years. I, okay. I, growing up, it was both. Um, in Michigan, you're allowed, they break it up. You're, you're, we were allowed to start bow hunting at 12 and firearm hunting at 14. So I started doing that first. But by that point, I'd already been sitting in a tree and I had my dad doing both for three years. So I, I felt like I was doing both, just didn't have the weapon. Sure. Uh, but growing up, w- once I started hunting the Midwest, traveling, and then once I moved that to the mountain states, tags are easier for a bow hunter to get. Good, you know, the right. same equipment tag for the same deer i can hunt you know with much less points burned uh or much less years waiting with an archery tag than i can with a firearm tag so i gravitated towards that um i love both weapons and that's only been accentuated the last couple years uh you guys probably know i write for rock slide we do gear reviews and uh test out all kinds of gear and i was asked to to test out a custom rifle and i had never had a real rifle i had one that i'd sent him I had some custom work done to it can't touch this thing this and it's like in with today's ballistic apps and the range finding binoculars it's like mm-hmm. oh my this is fun it's just fun it's going out and shooting rocks and shooting steel um, <laughs> yeah I, it literally is my dad and i killed five coyotes while i was in kansas and, and he was i mean and so much fun and <laughs> I have a weapon that dialed in that's I, so it's a snowy mountain rifle that i've been shooting the last few years and okay. it's just it's a small company out of uh, bozeman Sure. Uh, I think it's Hamilton, Montana, but um, it is absolutely amazing. Now, I've been using more and more, but uh, I would say it's probably sixty percent archery this year and and forty uh, and gun. Uh, just, oh, okay, yeah. It's probably, it's, and it's probably it's probably been about the same last two years, three years since I discovered that. Sure. It just makes it more fun. The yeah. pro- you know, you, the tags are harder to get. You're hunting, you know, and it's. You're on uh, typically more pressured animals, but um, sure, it change it totally changes the uh, the game plan. Like I like what I do with the decoying would never work. Uh, well, I shouldn't say never work, but it'd be a whole lot more. It'd be a whole lot more work. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, that whole area is just you know the locals shoot it up like crazy and you're going to hiding. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you uh, don't want to be walking out there in the middle of a uh, big yeah. patch of CRP with your deer decoy, <laughs> with the the orange the orange arm, army surrounding the wagons there. So, 
that they have an orange decoy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> light, light shade of gray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just a well, well tanned uh, deer. So, hey, all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah, when, that's definitely not good advice. Do not go out there during <laughs> the decoys, folks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That would that could end very badly. So definitely don't do that. I've even heard of guys, you know, going out of their way to really uh, tie some tie some orange if they're like uh, had a quarter out of deer or something. They got the skull on their pack, you know. Really, really. Yeah, I made, I made some stuff a couple of years ago. I, I keep with me. It weighs like two ounces. It's super great. So you take like like the elastic. Uh, they're almost like elastic shoelaces that come with a lot of backpacks. A lot of okay, yeah. Uh, I bought some uh, blaze orange still nylon on the internet. I think on eBay for like three bucks. And then I, I, I took that and I stretched that. I kind of tied it two pieces of wood in my little, my little archery shop, uh, that, that stretchy cord wrapped that material around each side and then like use fishing line and sewed around all four sides and then looped them together. And then once you relieve the pressure, it stretches it all together. And you just strap that over the top of my backpack. Um, Pretty much all any any of the like uh my, my Wyoming buck from this year. If you look back at my Instagram post from around when was that? Uh middle of no, it wasn't the middle, it's probably the beginning of October. Uh sometime okay. packing out there's a video of me packing out a buck and I have that that little homemade uh, orange thing stretched over the top of it. Um over its skull. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think it's just a smart I mean it weighs nothing, it weighs an ounce. Yeah. And yeah. It's uh you know, yeah, just some of the, some of the, you know, I grew up in Michigan where there's a pretty uh, stringent law on blaze orange. You go out west, a lot of states, they don't, they don't even have, you know, some states don't even have any orange. Uh, Man, wow. So, so I always keep that with me just in case, you know, I just don't want to, yeah. you know. You never know who's around you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, literally the saying applies, an ounce of pre- prevention is worth a pound of cure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's kind of get into some of our specific scenarios here as we uh, wind down. Let's say you're hunting a really high pressure state. You, like you said, you like to go for those archery tags just because they do provide you a little bit uh, more affordable option, which can maybe mean the difference between you know hunting several or a lot of uh, of other states just because mm-hmm. of the expense factor. Let's say you're hunting Colorado. You got to hunt public ground archery tag what time of year are you going to prioritize for that it's a colorado public ground yep uh that's my early season hunts that's that i love hunting the archery um even though it's becoming harder and harder uh this year was an absolute mess there's a covid wildfires aren't normally in the uh, in the in the outdoors to the outdoors and yeah sure yeah, for sure, Colorado early season. Yeah. Okay. So early season, and I assume you're probably still using some some level of spot and stock as your approach, or are you doing setting up for some ambush hunts as well? Uh, well, if it's an ambush, it's going to be a spot and ambush because I mean you're setting up, you're climbing up on mountain peaks and just glassing and. Uh, you're picking certain little vantage points that you can see into little pockets, little canyons, and then uh, that is, you know, it, the game is find them first. You know, it, you just you can't do anything if you can't you can't kill them if you can't find them. And uh, sure, you know, if if they're in a great spot where you can sneak up on them in, the, in their bed, perfect go. 
if if uh, they, if you if, you know you know where they're right there, but they're just tucked inside the timber and you can't tell exactly where he's bedded at. But maybe you can see some of his buddies because they're using a bachelor group that time of year. Mm-hmm. Because he's part of the group, so you know he's there, but you can't see him. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect spot for an ambush. Maybe where you can get like just over the next spot. Usually they're going to feed in the same area, so then you just set up somewhere as close as you can. And uh, like I said, don't always keep in the wind and your vantage there. And, and up there, it's a whole lot different game with the wind because you got thermals with the with the wind sinking as it gets colder and rising sure. as it gets warmer. Plus mm-hmm. the and it's a they swirl like crazy. So you got to be a whole lot more careful. It's really it's really a lot more of a oh boy, how do you say like a finesse game in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And because in the plains, I mean, I know what that wind's doing, and I can be aggressive. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Mountains, it's like you know what? Sometimes you just gotta sit back and be like, you're gritting your teeth and chewing your fingernails to the bone. You're like, <laughs> I just want to get in there and get them, but you can't. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're just, right. You're just you have you have to wait your time until the situation's right. No, so, that's that's a good point. So, do you find that when you are you know, I like how you said that spot and ambush. When you are in that ambush spot, are you kind of holding back at a position where you're going to try and maybe make one final move right before you get a shot off? Or are you sneaking in like, you know, you think that this bull is going to be up feeding in this spot in maybe an hour or two. I'm going to be within 20 yards of there. What are you, what are you kind of setting for your range? So if you, Go to a spot, say, where there's a, there's a last bit of cover that's going to hide you and conceal you as you're moving in on that spot where you last saw them. Say it's 200 yards away. If you stop there and they come out, and they only come out halfway in the middle, they're still 100 yards away. Yeah. So I'm going to try to find a spot that I can get closer. I'm going to try to find, even if it's just you know sagebrush, crawl through the sagebrush, or maybe there's like one lone bush out there, and I'm going to pick out maybe the one or two cows or does or whatever, if it's a bachelor group, smaller bucks that can see me. And I'm going to put that bush bush between us, and I'm going to crawl to it, and then I'm just going to hunker down behind it. And I and I don't use the decoy very much in the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Into a very very much a minimalist in weight, and yeah, that, that's that that's that's and that's a whole another three hour podcast to go to go into that like the gear thing in the mountains yeah. is completely a its own separate thing. But I mean, no, I would I would get as close as I possibly could in preparation for and for them coming out if i'm going to try to ambush them and kill them that's a good bit of advice there man this sounds like a really physical way of hunting i mean just a lot of crawling yes. and and mm-hmm. and having to know what's going to happen when you take your next step because you can't risk blowing it so definitely keeps you young yeah yeah definitely <laughs> so so are you uh moving like really slow when you're doing this or are do you try to pick up speed where you can, you know, maybe you got a, a good exactly. gra- yeah. grassy or mossy area where you can make less noise than well, then sometimes you get like a little crevasse or a little like a washout where, you know, you know, they can't see you mm-hmm. and it's, you sprint and then you get yeah. to this spot. They can see it and you literally slow down to a snail's crawl on your, on your belly and you're, you know, wondering how much sand you're just compacting into the lens. <laughs> <of your body. laughs> yeah. 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 And it's kind of, you know, that bur- you know, I still have thorns right now in my right forearm from Wyoming, <laughs> which was early October, and it's uh, last day of November. Wow, mm. battle wow. scars. Yep, and there's cactus, mm. cactus that we're still pulling out every night as they slowly kind of push their way. <laughs> work their way out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's I wow. mean it's it's good to hear that stuff though because 
sometimes we just want things to be so easily given to us. And, mm-hmm. and if you really want to get some of the trophy animals that Tony's tagging each year, you really gotta, you gotta be all in on it. But honestly, I like it when there's something to do while I'm hunting, you know, when, when you, there, there's so much upfront work to just get there and then sit for five hours, you know, it's kind of, you lose your focus, but when you got, it, when, when the whole thing is just a process like that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I think that's the kind of adrenaline rush that that keeps us coming back for more. So, yeah. yeah, definitely worth it. All right, let's go to a totally different thing here. We got public land Wyoming antelope rifle tag. How are you? Uh, how are you going at that one? I'm going to call my buddy Derek Henderson. <laughs> 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 I've actually never held an uh, an antelope uh, tag. Oh, so, really? No, I have not. Um, okay. I've, uh, I've I keep applying. Uh, I've got a good buddy who you keeps telling me like apply here, apply here, and every year I do it. You know, I look at Onyx or I'm not Onyx. Uh, go on, and it's like, yep, I should draw it, and it, it literally jumps one point ahead of me every year. So, <laughs> like that, I played that game, and I still haven't got one. Uh, oh. I've been on several other people's hunts, including this year. And our buddy Jamie's hunt, um, and he killed a monster. Um, and uh, it's it's a glassing game. It's cover ground, glass, glass, glass. But it, there's a lot of just it, it, it's not it's not just that simple because you got to know where to glass. And yeah, and that's where you know that that knowledge that my buddy had that you know he's lived there out, out there his whole life. Sure. Uh, you know it's but yeah no I've I've never held one of those tags. Um, I love eating them. He gives me a, a some some uh, antelope meat every year when I'm out there, and won't let me won't me won't, me, won't let me leave without taking it. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> great dude. Uh, but seriously, it's it's actually on my list of things I really want to do. Um, like I said, I've been applying every year, and it just like the, the yeah, units, just gotta get to fall. Nope. Point creep is yeah, it's going up fast. So, nope. but it's it's nowhere to glass, and I I can't honestly tell you that I know where to glass. Mm-hmm. Sure. Have you done any uh, rifle hunting for uh, mule deer? Oh yeah, yeah. So I let's go to like a a, a plain state like um, let's go with like South Dakota, South Dakota uh, mule deer rifle. Well, maybe we'll do both. We'll start with rifle, and then we'll we'll uh, do uh, archery for South Dakota mule deer. But we'll talk, you know, basically kind of like this Kansas scenery where you know just miles of grass it seems grassland mm-hmm. and uh but of course with the hills of of uh south dakota what what's your method there for a rifle hunt well i haven't hunted south dakota either of the dakotas but i have hunted a lot in eastern montana and it's okay yeah very very similar um and it's it's cover the cover the ground uh there's always gonna you know those bucks seem to my dad used to always equate it's kind of like a, a a trout stream. You catch a big monster brown out of a hole. It once you you could take him out of there and, and eat him. Next year there's gonna be another one. And mm-hmm. the yeah. same thing with a lot of those those good spots, with big draws, with big coolies. There's gonna be bucks in there every year. The same the same areas. So cover the good spots. Keep a good. You know, my dad always told me to keep. Uh, I, like a little journal of it, which I've never been good at, but um, <laughs> yeah, 
And this year I tried to explain him to him. I'll see, Tina, I, Dad, I have this Onyx thing. I just put them in here and then they're there. He's like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but um, I think you just got to cover the numbers. During a rifle season, they're gonna, there's, the pressure is going to be up. Um, mm-hmm. unless you, I mean, the, I, I'm assuming that the, the, the pressure in the Dakota is similar to the eastern Montana, you know, the, the general rifle in Montana. It's, yeah. it's not extreme, but it's still pretty. It's not, there's a lot of people out hunting. Yeah, uh, and in that case, the deer are gonna—they're not gonna be—they're gonna realize once they start getting shot at, not to be visible from roads. So you're gonna have to put some some boot time in and yeah, and cover some some ridges, and it's just gonna be a matter of covering ground. I like how you said that—they're not gonna be visible from the road. Um, I've been guilty of that, where you're just kind of cruising around looking for on public ground. Okay, where you know where are their deer? And mm-hmm. to me. I'm getting better at this. When you go way out of your way to go way out of town, maybe even way out of state to go hunt, you got to go that extra mile. I mean, you owe it to yourself. (laughs) You owe it to your family for allowing you to be out of town like that. And to me, there's no excuse for not going that extra mile, like you said, where you aren't just wasting time cruising around trying to get the easy way out. You got to get out of the truck and and pack it in and and try and give yourself the, those better odds of filling a tag. So uh, that's good advice. Yeah. So uh, let's do, let's switch to archery now. Are you going to bust out the decoy again now that it's archery season? Do you have a mule deer decoy that you're going to use? Mm, the only uh, – I do have a mule deer decoy. They, uh, heads up has uh, white tail him. Well, yeah, just about every animal species. But I uh, the if, if I bust out a decoy that, at this point in the season, because uh, I'm probably not leaving home at this point. I'm going to stay home. I'm here in Michigan, so it sure. won't be any It'll probably just be able to – I'm curious to see what the Michigan white tail does will do to, uh, to me sneaking in with a decoy. Um mm-hmm. I, even if I don't have a, the bow with me, I just want to see what they're going to do with a decoy. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the does in this area get so territorial of their late winter, you know, I should say not late winter, early winter, late season food sources. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I mean, I see them, you know, it, it was not even on my back window of my house. Uh, they'll just get up on their back legs and just beat the crap out of a new doe. <laughs> they, they, they fight constantly. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm curious if, you know, if, if I want to fill doe tags in Michigan, this, this might actually be a fun way to do it. Uh, is, uh, is throw a decoy out there and lure one of these old ornery does that's territorial yeah. of a food source. Yeah. So. And that kind of, that kind of transitions into one of my last questions for you. So you can, and maybe let's throw some, we've done this in, in the past with another group of guys we interviewed also, uh, guys from Michigan, oddly enough. Um, but we could say maybe you were, maybe it's like a game show. Okay. You, you, there's, we'll say 5 million bucks on the table. And uh, the only rules, I guess you could say, for getting this $5 million, you have to hunt, uh, we'll say public ground, and we'll start with a high pressure state like Michigan and um since it's michigan i like you we've, we've been talking you know it, in a lot of places a two-year-old deer is is a you know you're doing pretty good so we'll say you have to you have to kill a two-year-old buck what's going to be your method for getting that done 
I'm going to sit in a tree stand from that I've placed in a pinch point between a bedding area and a food source. Uh, I'm going to get in there a half hour before dark and I'm going to sit there until whatever time after dark it takes until I know all the animals are gone and they won't know I'm leaving every day, the first 10 days of November. Mm. That'll do it. Okay. Yeah, that's good. good. Yeah, that's that's, good. A, that's money time. And then uh, let's say you're going to uh, a low pressure state. Um, well, since you've hunted it so much, and again, you're you're not even have to get to one of your mature animals like that that you're really normally targeting. Again, it's just got to be a, a two year old buck. <laughs> what's your what's your uh, method you're going to use to get it done in Kansas? In Kansas, for a two-year-old buck, well, you could just get out of the car with a decoy and walk up to him and shoot him with a bow. You know, hundred yards. <laughs> <laughs> they're not like Michigan deer. They're, they're just smart, but sure. they just don't know. You know, no one, no one out there is trying to kill them. Nothing, yeah. nothing yeah. but. That's the only thing, an occasional combine. That's the only thing they have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. And every now and then you'll see a, you'll see a combine get them. So I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, definitely. Uh, yeah, you you literally. Uh, that was my biggest fear taking my dad to Kansas this year was because you know he he you know he hasn't been able to pull back a a recurve in probably a decade now. He's, so sure. he's got a compound, or I mean, I'm not a recurve, but a compound even. So he's got a crossbow and. Sure. He called me this summer. He's like, man, I just don't know if my if I'm shooting good enough. And I, I came over to his place, and he's like grouping them like three inches at sixty yards of this crossbow. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, you're good, Dave. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's outside of the little circle. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I was afraid of was he's gonna get down there. He's gonna shoot the first 125 inch buck he sees because yeah. we just don't see him here at home very often. Yeah. Right. And. Yeah. Thankfully enough, the first one that actually gave him a good shot was, you know, mid one fifties. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. <laughs> well, you know what, what, what I've really, you know, I really, I've really appreciated what Tony's saying because, and I think it applies, you know, even though most of us hunters out there, you know, we don't have the, the blessing or the opportunity to travel around a lot and, and, you know, like Tony does and, and maybe hunt multiple States every year. But I think the overarching principle is the, willingness and the ability to adapt you know obviously yeah. in like tony's case you know tony's had to adapt you know to you know you've had to go out there and, and hunt these different states and and do different types of hunting but you know it's it's a great reminder for those of us who you know we might hunt similar type of terrain but maybe we're not having the success that we really could be having and so the ability to adapt and to change be willing to to be open to change and and you know getting out of our comfort zone could lead towards success you know and sometimes it's like man you just do the same old thing yeah i mean every year i just kind of hop up in a deer stand and i mean i just kind of wait for things to happen you know i mean you know, even those of us that are hunting, you know, maybe not necessarily plain states, but some of these other states, East Coast, Midwest, whatever, can learn from that and that willingness to just get outside of that comfort zone and try something a little different that could end up leading towards a lot of success. Yeah. Yeah. Everything changes. You got to be only ready to adjust if you want to win. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Good, good, good point. All right, Tony, my last scenario I'm going to give you is one that I just lived. So, <laughs> so real life. Sitting, yes, yes. So I'm sitting here. You know, these exact questions are running through my head. So I was doing an all day sit in uh, in Iowa, and uh, saw a lot of deer that day. And the best buck came walking by 
Oh, at about 8.30. He was a nice buck. Probably at least a three-and-a-half-year-old buck, maybe maybe four. And uh, he was... So I was in a tree stand. He was behind me to the point where I had no angle for a shot. And there was tons of brush in between. So even if I did have the angle, there was no way I was taking this shot. So I grunted at him. He came out into the open but out of my range and um he uh sort of sort of responded to some more grunting i snort wheezed him a couple times he got his attention but honestly i just think that there's so many does in this area that these bucks really aren't having to do much fighting and and so he just didn't seem super receptive to to any kind of aggressive tactic, you know? And so then he kind of saunters off. So two thoughts came into my head. One, should I have climbed down out of the stand when he turned his back on me and tried to make some kind of, you know, watch where he goes and try to make some kind of move. I didn't have a decoy or anything like that. And I don't have, I didn't have like, like this was, I had a, basically a day and a half to hunt. B, should I have said, okay, he's gone now, but I know where he's traveling. You know, I, I know his path. Obviously I wasn't in position to shot for a shot. And I saw plenty of other deer using the same travel route on this other side of this kind of almost a hedgerow really. And should I have just gotten out of the stand, planted myself in that hedgerow and then just waited for him or another buck to move past that line or would you have just stayed in the tree stand and said well maybe you know maybe there'll be a deer that'll come under my tree stand again since it's still early in the day well with all that ground hunting stuff we just talked about and then i would not go after him under the only way i'd go after him is if i washed him bed okay because it's if it's if it's even like the areas in iowa where i was at i mean there's you're not the visibility is not the greatest um, and odds are you aren't going to know exactly where he's bedded. And I don't move right. in on anything unless I know exactly where it's bedded. Okay. That is one of the absolute keystone keys. You, you can't, if you don't know where, where it's at and you're just wandering there thinking, well, I thought saw it, I saw him go into here. You're just, it's a disaster. Yeah. You're just, you're just going to blow him up and then you're going to spook him. And then he's gone. Yeah. So no, if, if, if he was just a little bit out of range or you think there's a little bit better tree stand, you could put it, you know, a ground line or whatever to move to put a, yourself in a better spot. If he did it again, that's probably your best play. If it's a rut, well, that might have been, you know, who knows where he's going to be at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but it's, no, I would not put a move on him. I would not get out of the tree stand and just start following deer. Because uh, if he's, you know, who knows, you know, he, he could be not bed down all day long. And yeah. You're not going to sneak up on him while they're on their feet. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I don't think any of us are, I don't think humans are built to do that. And if you do it, it's an accident. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, the only thing I considered doing for, for trying that was to hang in that stand and try and spot where he bedded. And, but I wasn't able to do that. So I, I stayed put, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to mess myself up. And I did consider though, planting myself in that hedgerow and and uh as long as the wind was right and you know better ambushing spot but no it's good to know that i i probably did the wise thing there so now if you see him bed though that's a different story if you know where he's bedded that's then you got to look at the options you have moving in on that area 
Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question with with that. Then, if you didn't have a decoy, would you and you did see exactly where he's bedded? You know, maybe you can see his antlers kind of floating there in the the CRP or whatever. Are you still gonna try and get downwind of him and uh, try and make a move even without the decoy? If it's in like the area where I've hunted in Illinois, or, uh, Iowa and Illinois, for that matter, it's 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 there's there's some serious topographical your know, topography changes you know it's it's ups and downs it's it's got right. it's, even the farm fields themselves are you know the winds are going to swirl a little bit more so i'm not going to get i'm not going to take that quartering above wind you know like i was talking about before i'm yeah. probably going to get a 90 degree angle to him sure sure still want to be straight downwind because he's that's where he's looking yeah. so i want to be at a 90 degree angle and if there's a nine you know whichever side i have a more shot opportunities which is going to be the uphill side on the 90 90 degrees to him with yeah. to the wind but it all depends on terrain, you know, the cover and terrain too. So sure, know. sure, it's good. Yeah, no, really good to hear. It gets too tempting sometimes, you know, where we want to do those almost uh, brash moves, and that's another area where I've really had to grow as a hunter. You know, not just try and throw a hail mary at the end of the game and be content to wait for maybe not even the next week or the next month but sometimes the next year on a buck and uh see what he see what he turns into in a year and then and yeah. then try and go for him so yeah, yeah. you only get so many mistakes right <laughs> they're they're uh, that that's how they that's how they stick around for long enough to become a big a big mature deer so yeah well, Tony, uh, if people want to track you down, what's the best places to be looking for you? Um, well, Instagram is just Tony Treach. Uh, I think there's an underscore between the names, uh, T-R-I-E-T-C-H. Uh, I'm on Facebook, too. Um, the uh, There's always Rockside uh, views coming out uh, every year. I've got a couple I'm working on right now for this this winter. Um, awesome. Year, year I use this, uh, this fall. And then... Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, I've got, you know, there's usually a, a handful of articles coming out in different magazines, but Western Hunter or, or Eastman's or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's the best spot's probably Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. I definitely follow along. There's, you will not be disappointed if you do. There's some really impressive animals that, that Tony uh, seems to get every year and just so much fun to, to watch and, and kind of, I mean, dream along with it a little bit, you know, be like, yeah, maybe someday I'll be, uh, I'll be doing that. But also you can learn from watching stuff like that. And, and oh, uh, yeah. certainly I uh, learned so much tonight about a way of hunting. You know, I do quite a bit of ground hunting, but not like that. And I definitely mm-hmm. want, I definitely want to try it. It sounds like so much fun. So Tony, thank you so much for coming on the show and, uh, giving up some of your precious time here. And, and I hope yeah. you're, you're able to still sneak out a little bit for some uh, Michigan whitetail action this year. Yeah, sometimes it's a little hard to get excited about the bucks, but I definitely, uh, I, there's always room for a couple more does here at home. So Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, guys, you take it easy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me on, Anyone else inspired to go check out one of those buck decoys and try and sneak up on a mature old buck in his bed and some tall crp somewhere yeah i definitely am i hope you did take note though that there are times where being in a tree stand is the right application as tony said and so if that is your area by all means keep doing what it takes to get a big buck on the ground 
Another thing you need to be sure to do is to check out thehuntfishlife.com. That's where Brandon and his team have all sorts of great hunting, fishing, general outdoor content for you to interact with. Link up with them on Facebook and Instagram. Also, as the Christmas season is finally here and you need to be doing your uh, Christmas shopping, be sure you head over to the Hunt Fish Life store. Load up on some uh, good old Hunt Fish Life gear for all those that are near and dear to you. Please also be sure to check out Tony's Instagram channel. I'll be sure to link that up here in the show notes. And finally, head over to firstgenhunter.com. Link up with me on Facebook, Instagram, Go Wild. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Any way you can interact, it's awesome. Love it. And please also be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And head over and give us a review. I love seeing that from you guys. We hope it's been helpful. Hopefully you've had a better hunting season, whatever that means for you. And as we trend towards the late season now for pretty much everything... Be sure to take care and take someone hunting.